Good morning and welcome to the January 2022 ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report. This monthly conversation is intended to help you stay on top of global fertilizer prices, buy in bulk at the most opportune times. I am your host, Zach Jans. And today we got BK Morris with us. We'll have Jake Nieder talk at the end and Brian Henry will give us a commodity update. BK, with everything going on crazy in the nitrogen world, why don't you lead us off and we'll start with you from there. Alrighty, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is BK with Fertilizer Week. I'll start with urea. The good news is not so much that, yes, we've had another big decline at NOLA, but the global trend is a little more favorable to the U.S. market. And what I mean by that is not that we're suddenly priced to attract a lot of imports. We're not. I want to emphasize that. But we are seeing some key global indicators move more in the uh, direction of U.S. prices rather than the other way around. Specifically in India, we've seen the price there come down into the 740, 770 range on a metric ton basis. They had been paying significantly higher than that in just some recent tenders. Part of that is they have managed their imports fairly well. Their stocks at the end of the month are predicted to be about 4.2 million tons which for India is about where you'd want it to be. They will come back for what we believe will be a 1 million plus tender at the end of April for shipment in March. And that's obviously going to help support the global market. But if the Indians succeed in getting somewhat more aggressive offers from sellers for that tender, then what we're going to see is that there will be room for the U.S. to compete for product out of North Africa, specifically in Nigeria, etc. Producers in the Middle East will still be better off going to India by quite a large margin. Egypt even will be better off going to India. Producers that will probably still have some favorable reasons to come to the U.S. would include anything coming out of the Baltic and those other North African producers who are on the West side, as I noted. I'll just touch on the U.S. briefly. Frankly, expect to see continued volatility. What has kept the market moving is we've seen these prices come down. A lot of people have said, okay, this is just a trader pricing a cargo or something. But to be fair to those who have sold into this, the fact is the price rebounds have not been as large as the price declines. So the evidence is that NOLA was overheated. And more importantly, from Fertilizer Week's point of view, or more broadly, the global market appears to have been overheated. So at the very least, I can say with a straight face that I'm not expecting a huge surge in prices as the demand nears. Now, that segues quite well into, well, well, what about other nitrogen products globally? The answer to that question is we just saw, of course, Tampa ammonia go up $20. This was expected. Global supply is coming back online, especially in Western Europe, where it had been significantly reduced. Much of that production that's coming back is in the interior. So when it went down, it wasn't necessarily a huge impact on Tampa As you can see by the fact that Tampa went up again, that the return of some European production hasn't been sufficient enough to change the direction down there. We do expect to see lower prices of Tampa going forward, but the $20 increase, I think, was the expected move, and that doesn't provide any support for lower ammonia prices domestically. That might have to come from domestic producers if they switch their output around to maximize their margins. On the UAN side of the question mark, We're still looking at a fairly robust situation. The U.S. is leading the world on price. The U.S. has reduced, of course, its availability. While Eurochem appears to still be coming here as expected, arrivals from other suppliers out of the FSU are down. 
with urea softening, it does provide a certain amount of balance when and if domestic producers will cut prices, and Jake will address that. But in the meantime, UAN is going to get weaker globally the same way urea is and the same way we think ammonia is going to go. Not fall out of bed, not crash, but we do see it coming down. Moving away from nitrogen for a while, we've seen demand destruction in India for DAP. We have seen U.S. imports of MAP significantly higher over the first five months of the market year compared to one year earlier of about 40%. That bodes well and appears to have done well to meet the demand for MAP during the U.S. fall season. The one caveat I'm going to put on this and the one somewhat bullish issue is that while DAP supply is also looking good, India is just playing the best destination for DAP from pretty much anywhere we're seeing Mexican cargoes go there of DAP, and certainly cargoes of either DAP or MAP from Australia can find better profits than the U.S. So things are probably going to tighten up on the U.S. import side for phosphates. We're just not keeping up. But we probably will see some demand destruction as a result of price in the U.S., and that will, of course, not support necessarily higher prices here to attract more tons. So I can't make an argument for a surge in U.S. imports continuing in time for the U.S. spring season. Potash. The U.S. to some extent led the way in sanctions on Belarus product after the political issues that arose there starting last calendar year. Many other suppliers have moved in line with that or taken some similar steps, most notably Yara. That means Brazil is shopping for potash from other locations, although they're not doing it right now. In fact, Brazil is pretty much out of both the potash and urea markets right now. That has enabled, again, prices on urea we've seen come down, but it's also made it possible for some, uh, I don't want to say aggressively, but it certainly has led to some drift downwards in the U.S. potash price. What is holding it up is that the Canadians have a great deal of demand for their product overseas. What we have is sort of a, almost a divided market. We're seeing a great deal of calm, I guess might be the best way to put it, in the southern U.S. that still has access to imports at New Orleans, whether they're from Israel, Jordan, and the last of the uh, Belarus product, which should be arriving sometime in February. I expect we'll get our last cargo from Belarus in February, according to my market contacts. Then that picture may change for them. But the Canadian suppliers do have some good options going out of Vancouver and that's going to perhaps keep prices a little more snug there than, frankly, I would have thought a few months ago. They'll talk about the situation in China in terms of their exports. We still expect them to stay out of the market at least through February. Some people still think they'll stay out of the export markets for urea and phosphates for beyond April. As soon as they start coming out with significant exports, that obviously will bring international prices down for phosphates and urea. But, of course, none of that's coming here. It means we'll have to see reaction from other suppliers at that point. And since the other suppliers, especially for urea and DAP, are still able to sell quite well into India, I really don't think, even if China were to come back in at stronger rates in April, I don't know how much of that sort of reverberation around the world will benefit U.S. prices, per se. I'm not going to tell people, oh, as soon as China opens the doors, I expect all the prices, especially for urea, to drop for the U.S. Frankly, it just may be a little too late in the process. I'll stop there and pass it on. BK, appreciate the market update. Boy, there's just a lot to digest with what's going on in the fertilizer world. But Brian Henry, you got new highs in corn. You got pushing new highs towards the bean market here lately. What do you see going on there and how can growers take advantage of some of this stuff here going forward? 
Well, from the standpoint of taking advantage of it, the simple answer is go out and execute some sales, extend some sales on these moves is really kind of offering some of the better opportunities that we've seen. Now, there are a number of factors that have been developing, continue to develop, but yet one of the legs of the supportive features just really hasn't developed yet. And in terms of what has been developing and continues to develop, I guess at this point, when you look at corn and beans, you'd have to look at South America. And we've gotten to the stage where we're starting to hear what I'd call the bombastic estimates on what they may have lost for production in terms of combined production, Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, with some folks indicating that bean production could be down as much as 40 million metric ton for those countries combined and corn production potentially 20 million metric ton. We know for a fact there has been some damage. We probably haven't gotten deep enough into the harvest at this point to really have a good solid gauge of just what that damage is. But you're in a situation where it feels like from a bean standpoint, and potentially, I'm a little less committed to corn, but potentially a corn standpoint where you continue along with tighter than desired supplies globally on this production. One of the reasons I'm not as committed to the supportive feature as it relates to South America on corn is the fact that so much of South America's corn production comes after the bean crop is harvested in Brazil. And in terms of Brazil, you're typically looking at a solid two-thirds of their production. So can we see a shift in the forecast? Can we see a situation where Brazilian corn production, at a minimum, doesn't get any worse? That is very possible, though we're not there yet. This news is the primary feature concerns about inflation, concerns about a longer-term weakness in the dollar, which I guess ties into inflation, and then solid domestic demand for corn and beans due to profitable processor margins have resulted in these markets being able to take significant strides to the upside. The piece that we've been missing to this point, if you want to look at corn and beans, you've got a situation where global supplies expected to stay tight and that results in a prospect for better export demand out of the U.S. And the piece we've been missing to this point is the fact that from an export standpoint, we really haven't seen that develop just yet. I believe the potential is there for this export demand to increase U.S. as it relates to the globe in terms of corn pricing is competitive in the U.S. as it relates to the globe in terms of bean pricing, appears to be competitive April forward. So we're in a situation where, due to the struggles last year in Brazil raising corn, due to the struggles last year in the U.S. in terms of some of the shortfalls on production, and now due to primarily South American bean production at this point, potentially longer-term corn production as well, difficulties in raising it, you've got into a situation where global supplies have the potential to remain tight, and the markets have been thrown into a situation where they're on the cusp of having to potentially limit demand. 
In addition to that, other features that are developing, though, in a messy fashion, we're seeing significant amounts of corn at times sold into Canada, with Canada potentially taking four to four and a half million metric ton of corn. Not a huge amount by comparison to what the U.S. produces, but it's a significant amount by comparison to what the Canadians will typically take in terms of corn. And then on top of that, we continue to see good processor demand for corn and beans, though we have seen instances of where the basis has been able to back off a little bit in conjunction with markets rallying. And that has to do with what appears to be fact. And that fact would be the idea that the domestic crusher, the domestic ethanol producer has significant amounts of coverage on through March. Pricing wise, It feels like these markets have good solid footing when speaking to the producer through the elevator originators, managers we deal with kind of have the stance that if somebody continues to call, continues to want to talk about the corn crop, their corn price, the bean price, the wheat price for that matter, they know they should be extending some sales, whether it be old or new crop. And at that point, I guess if there's some things that people would like to get sold here before we get into the February time frame or get sold and moved here before we get full hog into spring's work, to me, any of these values work quite well. And I don't think it's a situation that one has to overthink it. Looking forward, when I look at new crop corn at a 570 or I go out to even the corn crop a couple of years out at five and a half, both numbers that I think should be thought about in terms of extending sales, we've gotten into a situation where higher values have the potential to really flip the switch and result in global corn production, global bean production increasing. And then with maybe a little bit of the threat on the fertilizer side having subsided perhaps a bit here, it just feels like in terms of the U.S., we've got really, really good potential to outdo certainly what we produced last year in both corn and beans and the potential to really get to a spot where we do have an opportunity to bolster supplies. Longer term, and this is by no means tradable today, But China has taken steps forward where they are going to allow the use of better technology. Currently, in terms of Chinese yields, they're about half of what the U.S. yields in terms of corn. And it looks like they're going to take some steps forward. And ultimately, over time, it feels like they've got the potential to increase the amount of production on a per acre basis. So I'm going to just continue to sit back here and look for opportunities in these markets. You know, I can't sit here and say, I'm really going to wait out to these markets really shoot the moon because frankly, they have. And everything just kind of feels like an opportunity. So I'll kick it back to uh, Zach. Brian, I appreciate it greatly. Thanks for that insight. You know, Jake, I'll be honest with you. There's been a ton of questions asked to me over the last week, 10 days, as we've seen this nitrogen market do what it's doing. Talk about UAN, talk about ammonia, price decreases if they're coming, what's that look like? And, you know, also as it relates to forward values on P&K and other products, I mean, what's your thoughts here going forward? Turmoil, Zach. Uh, (laughs) It's been one where, you know, the bull market's been very solid and finally we've seen 
some relief, if you will. And so from buying perspective, if you have bought, what do you do? So let's try and hit some of those highlights and what my recommendations are. So nitrogen probably is having the largest correction on the urea front. There does not appear to be the pressure on UAN to correct or on ammonia. I'm going to address the reason why simply by stating that you have less producers of ammonia and less producers of UAN, that there is more price stability. There's more pricing power at the supplier level. Urea, there are more producers, importers, distributors, traders of urea. Therefore, there's a lot more volatility in pricing. You have a lot of global suppliers that are looking to come here to the United States. Those global suppliers had had nothing but eyes for India for the last several months, India and Brazil primarily. Those markets are going to remain quiet for probably another 40 days. You're going to have Europe and the U.S. looking to resupply right now. And where the U.S. has had good supply pushed to it during the November-December period, there's a little bit of a breather in the market from calling on tons from the imports. Like BK said, we are still undervalued relative to the global market, but we've seen the globe do more of the move to close the gap than the U.S. doing any form of the move. So there's been no real rebound in urea pricing. The largest thing of note in urea nitrogen that I think is worth talking about is that we've had a backwardation develop in the market where you're seeing price decreases into the end of second quarter. And it's beginning to paint the picture of, should I wait to buy in and lock in nitrogen? Keep in mind the recommendation that we had quite a while ago was, yeah, be 100% covered for spring. That's before a lot of the price run-up had happened. And then we started to get into a point where we were competing globally for nitrogen, and there wasn't a clear direction of which way prices would go other than up. Now it feels like there is more pressure for it to come down. Now, I will say this. We need more urea to come to the United States. We are going to have to, at some point in time, incent tons to come here through the price being greater than the world value. The question in everyone's mind should be is, which one's going to do the work? Is it both or is it just one versus the other? Right now, where it is January and we're heading into February and there's not going to be a lot of application and call on any prompt movement of tons, it's very unlikely that we see the U.S. do much work on a rebound in urea prices. However, if the market remains not buying through those periods, which it seems like buyers, including yourselves, are resolved to wait, then likely we have a snap back in the spring season because we wouldn't have sufficient tons here. It's kind of a chicken and the egg dance right now, and a lot of this is based on weather, timing, and this is where the forecast, you can just kind of throw them out the window. It's almost easier to talk about what does next year look like than what's the next 90 days going to look like. We need more urea to balance the nitrogen equation in the United States. There's supplier pricing power, if you will, where we don't expect ammonia and UAN to come off throughout the next 90 days, 120 days, until after the spring season. Urea, we don't expect a massive rebound. We do think that this is a buying opportunity as the prices have backwardated, and you can take advantage of that through the foreign pricing model that we offer. There are some areas in the United States and Canada where they're not recognizing any form of the price pullback. You may not be seeing that at the farm gate. There is some discussion whether there will be a reset even at the farm gate. However, our model does show that backwardation. We offer those price discounts today. That's why I make the recommendation. It makes sense to look at locking in the remaining amount of your urea that you might need for spring. 
Is there a risk it could go lower? Yes, there's a risk. We're not close to global production floors. However, we do know that we need more urea before we get through the end of spring season to balance the nitrogen equation for what we're solving for here in the U.S. So hopefully that's pretty clear on what I expect to happen on nitrogen. Turning to FOSS and potash real quick. FOSS, it's definitely softening globally as well. Now, we have the tail of two markets. The Eastern Hemisphere market, Asia, India, those markets are very firm. In fact, they've increased in price. They went up probably about $30 a ton since the start of the year, whereas in the Western Hemisphere, Brazil, U.S., we've seen those markets go down. And so what ultimately you have is the Western Hemisphere, no activity, no application. It's storage building. Prices are high. None of the markets really want to build storage. So they basically discount it to a point where you're shipping into the Eastern Hemisphere. As we get closer to China coming back online in second quarter, we should see prices begin to soften in the global market. Now, that could be as late as June, though. And so we may not see an immediate reset in the spring season. It takes time for these oversupplies to work themselves through the market. That's essentially what we see in phosphate. So stable-ish, near-term. NOLA is cheap relative to the world. And so one would argue that the world's got to make more of a downside move before the U.S. is going to go further in pricing. So from our perspective, for this spring season, the current dip in the phosphate market is an opportunity to buy in relative to what we'd likely see finish for the spring season. Potash. Potash is one of those where it just isn't going to make much of a difference what happens in the next few days. We've got supply. Producers are going to other markets. They've got a tightly controlled market, but I would argue from an import perspective, we're a little bit on the heavy side. There's ample potash in the marketplace today to meet demand. So we could catch some discounts on the tail end if we wait. I would just say make sure you manage your logistics value chain and you've got suppliers that will have it on hand for you. But beyond that, I can't paint a real rosy picture on potash prices increasing during our spring season. It appears that we have sufficient to balance the current marketplace. Sulfate, real quickly to touch on, it's one of those that has not taken a correction in pricing. Again, fewer producers, less markets to import from, less importers of sulfate means for a tighter market. Sulfur still remains somewhat tight in the marketplace. We don't anticipate the producers to show significant price decreases as they are low on inventories as well and their production costs are up, particularly around that anhydrous ammonia production cost. As we all know, that did increase month over month. If there is a price decrease in sulfate, it would be at the very tail end of season and not likely over the next 60 to 90 days. That's what we kind of see coming in sulfate from the various suppliers we talk to and work with. Zach, I think when we start talking about getting into next year and what are the recommendations for next year, the major driver that we're looking at, whether it's nitrogen, phosphates, potash, is you've got China coming back to the market on an export basis, particularly around nitrogen and phosphates. That's going to have some downside effect to pricing. The one thing I would say before we expect a massive reset, to go back to levels we saw in 2019 or 2020, is the fact that they're going to be controlled on how much they come back into the market. They've already imposed some restrictions on the amount of exports. You have the Russian government also restricting exports. It's going to be a little bit more of a balanced market. So downside, yes, how much is still yet to be seen. And so we're not calling for massive price decreases on phosphate and potash as you get into that end of second quarter into third quarter of next year. Today, though, 
I would wait on looking to lock in unless forward selling grain, because then you can lock in a margin. Never argue to not lock in a margin, but I don't have a recommendation that we need to be stretching our legs and looking into the fall of next year as of yet. Appreciate that. I do want to touch on one thing you mentioned though, Jake, and I think it goes back to logistics. I think everybody is on this call is very aware of supply chain and how it functions and how it's struggling to function here today. So if you're looking at stuff for spring, Jake made a good point with making sure you have the logistics kind of locked in from the standpoint that it's going to be tough to get product in season. I just, it always has been tough, but this year it feels just a little bit different from the fact of less volume of trucks and rail cars moving in a timely fashion. So that's one thing I wanted to point out as we move forward here through Jan, Feb, March. One thing to really kind of pay attention to is logistics and flows. And if it feels like it's getting tighter, it's because it really honestly is. It's not necessarily a function of the market. It's just there's not a lot of truck drivers that are wanting to move ag products here as of late. So that's about the only thing that I had to wrap up here today. If anybody does have any questions, feel free to ask and we'll definitely stay on to answer whatever you guys have to ask. We booked our urea for free plant needs and... We generally put on some more urea first week of June. Would you be looking to book the rest of that now, or would you wait? So from our perspective, we're showing a backwardation in the prices. The further you wait, the more the price discount is on the May-June price window. I don't know if other competitors of mine would be showing that, but looking at our prices, we've factored in that price decrease. And it is a very significant discount to the world market. So I go back to knowing that we need to call on world market tons and feeling that the price is most likely going to rebound in that window. My recommendation is yes, over these next 30 days, the the long winter months here, that's a time to start looking to lock in that spring top dress and getting your logistics locked in behind it as well. What about the phosphate? We, We also do the same with our phosphate. We've been dividing it. Uh, pre and, and then early. with the phosphates it's taken its correction again in the interior i don't know how many local retailers are necessarily recognizing that but from our pricing perspective we have come off from the highs that we were at and it is discounted to the world market by almost 150 dollars a ton so i don't see the u.s getting cheaper in the spring season what i'm having a hard time articulating just saying outright yeah book it i don't know what it looks like in third quarter fourth quarter just to compare it right so kind of give you a direction where it goes but for the spring season this looks like about as good as it's going to get for our spring season all right i got a question maybe you answered it early on and i didn't catch it but is europe going to be in trouble and not have enough nitrogen uh, this spring Great question, Ron. BK, do you have any thoughts on that? I haven't scoured all of your guys' periodicals and reports on that. I've got an opinion, but I wanted to give you a chance on that one. Right now, Europe looks a little bit better set than they did, say, uh, a couple of months ago because they've been able to bring back some of their ammonia production, and much of the ammonia production that's coming back is in the interior that supports nitrate production and urea production, but especially their dry nitrate production, which is a big deal for meeting their demand. We do expect them to still react to what's happening at the prices in India to buy from Egypt. And we do expect to see actually a lot of the Egyptian production that doesn't go to India. Actually, a better way to put it would be whatever Egyptian production doesn't go to India will almost certainly stay in the Mediterranean. So for Europe to be not just a net consumer, but definitely a lower export source with the exception of out of the Baltic and Black Sea, that's something we don't foresee right now. They're still tight. 
They're still arguably a better price for some products right now than the U.S. is, although they don't have quite our appetite. So uh, that's the picture we see over there as a market that still needs to buy, certainly to meet their spring demand. I would agree with that same comment, BK. I think that the only buyer or home for the North African producers of nitrogen right now are going to be mostly Europe, North America, and then a little bit of South American demand. So I think we'll see some cargoes find their way into Europe and they'll have the ability to get caught up. Now, there was a lot of production lost. I think they're going to be short ammonium nitrate or nitrates over there in that marketplace. And that could increase the amount of demand that they see go towards urea. But there is capacity to bring it in, but they'll have plenty of logistics issues behind it that will create some price crunches. I think that the bottom line is, though, for the U.S., there's not probably sufficient buying to take out all of the North African demand that we don't get tons we need as well from that marketplace. Natural gas out of uh, Russia going into Europe gets slowed down. Do they still have enough nitrogen? That's a great question. Lost a little bit of sleep over that one. We're planning on a boat to come out of Russia loading in March. So I'm watching it closely. You know, if there are geopolitical issues that I'm not an expert to talk on that happened, you know, if sanctions occur, Russia cuts off gas supply to Europe, that would massively change the S&D. It would create uncertainty, but you still go back to there's a lot of production in North Africa up for grabs in those markets. The question goes back to is there's going to be a logistics scramble that Europe's probably never felt before similar to what we went through in 2019. Most of you probably eventually got your product, but it was a logistics nightmare to get it done. And we saw truckloads coming from Toledo, Ohio, all the way out into North Dakota. That's the type of thing you could see happen over there if if they had gas supply issues. I've heard talks of you guys possibly putting a blender in the St. Paul plant. I was just wondering if you had any updates on that. Yeah, good question. Zach, you want to talk yeah, about that one? love to. We are putting a tower blender up in St. Paul. It should be fully operational sometime in June. We're hoping to catch that top dress season, but from the most part, we're planning on a good fall season out of St. Paul. It will be a Sackett Waconia tower. It will be able to blend somewhere between three and 400 tons an hour. So we'll be able to utilize micros and treat urea. Yeah, it'll be a good tower to utilize. If it's ready for spring season, we'll let people know, but we're not going to pre-sell out of there because we, we want to make sure it's working first. So, All right. Thanks, guys. You know, you started to talk about logistics issues and whatnot, and I thought I would jump in with a question real quick regarding barge freight. You know, we've seen barge freight on the grain side start whittling away at basis levels, mid-miss and upper Illinois, all of it, really. And most of what I've heard is that it's a northbound programs that are tying those barges up. Most of that's fertilizer. I'm sure it's not all fertilizer, but according to what I've been told, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, when those logistics maybe ease up a little bit on the northbound stuff so that we can get barge freight maybe back to normal and just anything you can throw in there would be helpful, I guess. Yeah. So there's definitely been some logistics crunches on the barge front. From our book at ADM, we have a lot of rail cars ready to load and head to particularly the Northern Plains in Canada. We're supplying a lot of product up into there. And so we've got a very healthy book of barges sitting in and around St. Louis waiting for rail cars to come in. And as those rail cars come in, we're loading them, offloading the barges and sending them back down the Gulf loaded with grain. That to me is representative of what the biggest bottleneck is right now is the rail cars. The barges are getting bottlenecked slightly because they're not getting offloaded as quickly. 
from what I've heard from others in the industry, that seems to be a common theme. I think that what you're going to notice is because of that common theme and everyone carrying a little bit of backlog of shipment from that Jan to Feb, Feb to March, not many of us are very comfortable selling additional April, May tons delivered in that peak seasonal window. It takes away our surge capacity, if you will, and we've got to get caught up with our orders by that point in time because that's kind of shipment critical window. So I know from our perspective, we're a lot more leery in making sales for April, May on rail just because we're waiting for cars. So you asked a barge question. The real problem is the cars to offload the barges has been the big bottleneck. So I think we're representative of what a lot of others are facing because as we go scramble for cars, we're running into competitors looking for cars. So we kind of know that's a similar issue across the industry. You just had a question on UAN in regards to urea on a price per pound basis. Will the downward slide in urea force the UAN price to slide down a hair as well to compete? Because it is about a 30% 30% roughly positive side to urea right now. <laughs> a million dollar question, isn't it, Jake? <laughs> it is. I can argue both sides of it. What my gut tells me and experience tells me is that you have a lot more pricing power at the level of the suppliers on UAN, that they have the ability to export tons, to store, to wait for the market than what urea producers do. So, I'm more of the opinion that UAN doesn't do much of that work in the price spread. The other thing I would mention too, and we talk a lot about switching inside our camp, and some of you folks can probably relate to this. If you're in an ammonia and UAN state where that's what most of your retailers are offering, when you go in there, those are priced relatively close to each other. And then what you'll find is even though urea is cheap, the price there in your local market's not cheap. And so they've kept that spread actually very much in line with UAN and urea, partly because they don't want to handle it. They've not invested into the equipment to handle urea. They've invested in the equipment of handling UAN and ammonia. So my long-winded point in going down that road was that I don't think the spread that we see at NOLA is as large as it is in the interior when you go to price it out from the retail level. Therefore, I'm not saying there should be that much switching from product to product. Now, our opinion is urea is the better buy. People should look at it if they have that ability to switch. There's some of you on the call, though, that no matter how cheap it is, you're just not going to monkey with it because you prefer one over the other. And that's kind of what we run into. Even though this is a commodity product, there's still a lot of preference on this commodity. When is a good time to buy in for 2023? Great question, Jonathan. I mean, if I understand Jake's comments here from earlier, I just don't know if we're there yet. It's going to be very tough to tell you when to do that because there's so many things that could happen in the next 90 to 120 days that could dictate the direction of the market from corn acres, from supply issues, from whatever. I just don't know if we're there yet to really hone in on a certain time frame to buy in for 2023. Jake, you can correct me or step in where, where you think if I'm wrong there. but Yeah, no, Jonathan, I appreciate the question. It's one that we look at a lot. I would say go spend your money in somewhere tropical right now than worrying about 2023 <laughs> fertilizer. But I would say this, though, and Brian, I appreciate your insight in this. I don't know what the forward board looks like for 2023, but... I would recommend this. If you're looking at selling your commodities forward, you should look at buying your inputs and locking in a margin because the margin spread is okay. And as these forward fertilizer, the forward prices of fertilizer has corrected some, it's put a little bit more margin back on the side of the table for you. Is it as wide as it's been? No. I don't know if we'll see that again. 
the biggest reason why we're hesitant to make an answer is probably the biggest driver at the price on urea and phosphates is going to be China. We just don't know how that 800-pound gorilla is going to land yet. And so we got to get a little closer to that period before we have a good feel on that, Jonathan, on what's pricing going to do for 2023. Along the lines of not knowing what China's going to do here, I'm a producer. I haven't booked any phosphate here yet. And I guess the question is, with that in mind, I don't want to say a cuss word in the industry, but what about a phosphate uptake enhancing product like Avail with the understanding that at some point you do have to put the phosphate on if you could use products like that that would delay feed for as much this season and then put more on in 2023, I guess. Does anyone there have any experience with that type of a strategy? My personal bias and a majority of the team members here is that we're not selling Avail because the data behind the yield increase or the efficiency is still somewhat questionable, in our opinion, right? So there's some people that stand behind and believe it. As you notice, we're willing to sell contain, agritain, and a lot of other nitrogen inhibitors because there is good science behind it, backed by university studies. If you feel that that's the case with Avail, then I would say go for it. We just weren't comfortable with that at ADM to say, hey, let's run with it. I'm hopeful more products like it come on the marketplace with a little bit more scientific rigor. What I would recommend, though, and I get your question is, how do you save a little money on the phosphate budget this year and then save the powder for another day? I rarely recommend reducing rates. I'm not really recommending that, but I would definitely say I would apply for replacement and I wouldn't be looking to increase my soil levels this year or banking into the savings account. That much is kind of a given, given how high the price is on phosphate this year. Yeah, that's my present strategy. You know, I used the veil about a decade ago, I think when the prices spiked and I didn't have a feel very well if it was effective or not, honestly. So I was just curious to see, you know, what the mood was, I guess, for it and your side of the equation. <laughs> I'm certain we have some growers on here that would swear by it and that do use it. And I'm certain that there's some growers on here that have had a similar experience to you. But yeah, we'll have someone with a credentials call you and have a little more conversation on that. How do you see uh, some of the tariffs on phosphate coming into the U.S. going forward? playing out and how do you see this potential European conflict impacting uh, already purchased deliveries? Good question. On the phosphate duties, there has been no change to it yet. I know that there are active, there's active litigation going on right now where those companies that had duties issued against their production are trying to work to get back in here to the United States, but there has been no change to those tariffs, countervailing duties rather. And there likely won't be until five years from the point it was issued. The only change that would occur would be if they were to prevail in in a lawsuit, and that's going to take some time. I don't see that changing in the next few months, and I'm not willing to bet that it's going to change for the fill period that we'll experience in the fall of 2022. I expect those duties to still be in place and effective. Now, to the European conflict, to bring the point on here, that is one that is a major driver if it continues to get worse. And and I think that we see sanctions from Russia. That's a huge pipeline, not only to Europe, but also to the United States. Basically, Europe's in a hard place there from a natural gas perspective. And so how it affects the market can create a lot of different scenarios. Just know this, that if something happens, it's going to create uncertainty. Uncertainty usually leads to higher prices. 
And that much I feel confident saying that that could become a driver in the next 60, 90 days if it heats up. I'd just like to make a comment about the guy that was talking about cutting back your phosphorus rate. And I would suggest just from an agronomy standpoint, making sure your pH levels are where they need to be because that can really tie up some of your phosphorus. And cutting back on rates a little bit, you can mitigate some of that by making sure your pH is correct. Thank you. Appreciate that point. That is a great point. Thank you. You guys talked about backwardation. We uh, primarily use ammonia in our operation as a major source of nitrogen. Would you just tend to lean towards, hey, would you book side dress tons now of ammonia? And the second part is whether or not, I mean, we could side dress all the rest of it, sort of that May, June timeframe versus sort of a April pre-plant window. What would your thoughts be on, on that? On ammonia, hope is the strategy for a price decrease. So the problem there is you've really got three producers of ammonia in the United States, and you have a very consolidated pipeline of ammonia distribution. The ammonia price has the ability to remain stubborn and firm. And with the industrial demand having been as strong as it has been and seeing no change in that in the short term, it's going to continue to have a very strong pull on ammonia here over the coming weeks, months, and days. I think a lot of people are in your same camp having missed some of the fill buying opportunities at much lower levels and have been frustrated and there's a lot of pent-up demand. When that demand starts to manifest itself, we'll certainly find any kind of price stability at that point in time. The winter months are usually when you find your discounts. And I think that if there is a discount to be had, it's over the next 15 to 30 days if you have storage of ammonia. But if you're hoping for yeah. in-season spring discounts, I would argue that it's going to be tough to come by. As far as UAN goes in Saskatchewan or in Canada, I guess, how's the supply looking for spring? Now, I know just looking around here, it seems like all the retails are full to the brim. Myself, I haven't bought any yet. Kind of hoping the price would soften a bit. And uh, I'm just wondering, going into spring, what kind of strategy in Canada would be a good idea for UAN? Wait it out a bit or perhaps buy half or maybe fill to the brim like the retails did. But I think they did it at a lower cost probably and it just that was shipped here lately. Yep. So what would yep. the strategy be for a guy like me? Good question. Brock, I'm going to ask you to, to speak a little bit about this. Brock, what would you say that local market supply on UAN feels like? You're probably a little bit more in touch with that than I am. Yeah, I mean, that's not my bread and butter, but I know it's a very tight market. Getting firm prices from anyone right now seems to be very difficult and seems like supply is going to be very constrained. So the odds of it dropping here in a significant way, I, I really don't see it being likely and that you should secure your needs as soon as you can one way or another. You might have to bite the bullet and compare your price per pound of N versus your alternative nitrogen sources if you can switch. But yeah, the chances of it dropping here in the short term, I think, is pretty unlikely. I would tend to agree with what Brock said too, because you've really got two suppliers of UAN into that marketplace. They have managed their sales book relatively well and taken a decent amount of forward volume like you just discussed, shipping out to the local retailers. There definitely seems to be a continued stubbornness in the UAN pricing from the producers, and I don't get in a feel that there's going to be price softening. If there is, it's in the next 15, 20 days, and the closer we get to spring, the more they're just going to ride it out. 
A lot of those plants have the ability to kick out a little extra ammonia or to granulate a little higher urea capacity to balance it. And that's kind of how they manage that risk instead of just flooding the market, forcing price down. You know, there's lots of talk about natural gas and all that, high prices, blah, 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 blah. The prices of natural gas have come down significantly, I guess. I was on a webinar yesterday and kind of the comment that was made, it's not the natural gas prices that are the issue here because a lot of contracts are locked in long term. It's the price of corn. If you want to follow urea prices, watch the price of corn because when corn is high, urea prices are traditionally high. When the price of corn falls down to four bucks, guess what? The urea falls as well. What's your comment on that? Fertilizer is the tail on the dog and the corn would be the dog that wags the tail. I definitely believe that nitrogen is going to be driven. Its pricing will fundamentally be driven by the demand of the corn acre. That's one of the biggest fundamental drivers. And that's that's kind of in this staging season of basically July through February. Then when we get into application season, March through June, all bets are off. And then it's about what's that local market product that's driving it. You know, in, in the Delta, which we have some callers on in the Delta, they care more about the cotton acre or the rice acre. And that's going to drive that local market call for urea more than what the corn market will do. But in the planning phase and in the managing of the S&Ds, which we're talking about where will prices go, corn is definitely the key input driver to how we base this. So right now, the, the outlook on corn's been pretty solid from prices. We've had some crop acre issues in Latin America, right, that Brian talked about. And so that's remained a firm market. So that's kind of why we're saying there is downside in these commodity prices, but maybe not as much as what we thought. But the other big factors in those geopolitical issues, which is China and a huge supplier to the global market coming back in, that would create some additional price pressure. That's why we're kind of uncertain on what does that second, third quarter look like for reset values. I think this time last year, we started to get a feel for the fact that you need to start looking at fill values in kind of that February, March timeframe. And that's when our recommendation came out. Right now, the magic eight ball's really cloudy and uh, wouldn't have that recommendation. So good question. Good comment. Definitely corn drives the nitrogen prices. In light of all the things you talked about, I wondered if you could speculate on the next 30 days specifically for urea price with sideline demand, weighting, and logistics, and commodity price, all of things, how do you see that or the key drivers in the next 30 days of price? Yeah, I see the next 30 days looking like a downward move on an escalator followed by an upward move on an elevator. I think that when prices are coming off like they are right now, everybody does the typical, if I would ask you 60 days ago what your buy number was on urea and you were in Canada, you probably would have said 1250 And today, the numbers have hit 1250 and below, and you probably wouldn't touch it. If you were in the middle of the United States and I said, you know, the urea buy number is an 800 and your buy number then was maybe 780, well, we've gone past that, you still probably wouldn't touch it today. The problem is, is now, while it's the coldest, it's the hardest to move product, this is the time to lock in that demand. And that's really what, what I hope one of the key messages is today is, this is the time to really think and pencil it out. Should you look at locking in relative to what you're going to make and plant? This is usually the worst time for the producers. When you get into May, June, July, they're selling every day. They're not going to cut their prices. That rarely happens. If it does, there's some black swan event that you know I'm not smart enough to see coming, or anybody on this call is probably smart enough to see coming. 
So the market's somewhat soft right now and softening. This is the time you got to look to put a little chips back on your side of the table. I mean, the consideration of switching more of your nitrogen to pre-plant urea versus anticipating a anhydrous drop for side dress. I mean, that's another element of that, but there's no guarantee that side dress ammonia price is going to drop significantly if I hear what you said previously. That's exactly right. I don't see the ammonia prices dropping significantly enough to say it would justify waiting. If you're going to catch a break in pricing, it will be the last week or two of pricing. So a purchase in June timeframe might be when you actually do it or very end of May. But to think that you'll book that now through March or now through April, very unlikely you'll see that price come off once we go to the field. Speaking about Western Canada, what are we looking for for supply and pricing for 1034.0 for planting timing? Good question there. 1034.0, Zach, you might hit that one. It's, yeah, it's tight it's, overall, though. <laughs> the overall market of 1034.0 has been tight since November. It's been very hard to get producers that make the stuff to come to the marketplace with an active number. If they do have an active number, it's been good for couple hours and then it's no longer accessible anymore until you know two three four weeks go by and they come out with a different number Foss acid cars have been extremely difficult to come across they've been very close to the vest and that goes not only for canada that goes for the united states as well i would say the same goes for ats for that matter if you have a local market that seems to be pretty competitive on ats and 1034.0 i would probably look at that but yeah, I mean, as far as Western Canada goes and the Red River Valley, it's not going to be easy the way it feels. It hasn't felt easy for the last three to four months, and it continues to be a struggle to get pricing every day on that product specifically. We are going to put a wrap on this grower call. We appreciate it. Please join us for our next report on February 16th. Until then, you can learn more at fertilizer.admadvantage.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next month.